Part eight today, we're going to talk about this. Parental curses. Parental. Ooh. Ah. Parental curses. Did you know? Did you know that you can be have you can be facing demons in your life today because of choices that your parents made 50 years ago? Do you know that you can struggle right now in your marriage because of something your grandparents did 75 years ago? Do you know that you can face um, addictions and disorders and bad habits because of a poor choice that was made by your great-great-grandparents whom you never met? Crazy, huh? Let me reverse it a little bit. Did you know that, um, that there are choices that you can make in your life right now that can cause your small children to suffer demonically? I'm going to show you that in the Gospels. Did you know um, that there are choices that you can make today that can cause your grandchildren, who are not even born yet, to suffer or struggle in life? Now let's flip the whole thing. Did you know that there are choices your grandparents could have made that can be the reason that you're succeeding in life right now? You know there are things that you can do in your life today that can forever change the course of your bloodline? Um, it says in Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10, it says the iniquity of the parents can visit the children to the third and fourth generation. But God says, I show mercy and love to those who obey me up to a thousand generations. This past week, I went to the dentist like I do every six months. And I guess they haven't, you know, updated my, my stuff in a long time. So they give me a piece of paper and they have all these um, medical problems on the paper. And they say, check off all the ones that apply to you or anyone in your family. Uh, does anyone in your family have diabetes? Anyone in your family um, have, have, have blood pressure problems, mental illness, um, heart disease, all these? Why do they ask that? They ask that because they know that I can struggle with something because it was passed down through the blood from my grandparents to my parents and then to myself. Um, in the world, they call it bad blood. Man, they got bad blood in their family. She's just got bad blood. The Bible refers to this as an iniquity. Or a generational curse. Um, in this passage, the word iniquity that we just read, it means this. Continued disobedience or mediocrity that gets passed down from one generation to the next generation. Now, I think that our first initial thoughts in the past two minutes of this sermon was probably something like this. Okay, I got the devil after me. I've already done stupid stuff in my own life. I got enemies. And now you're telling me on top of everything else in this world. On top of COVID, on top of presidential debates, on top of the World War III and all these things, on top of all this, now you're telling me that I could have problems in my life because of my parents, because of my grandparents, people that were supposed to love me and I thought they loved me, and now you're saying that they can do something and God, who cares about me more than anything else in the world, God will allow what they did to affect me? How unfair is that? I'm sure we're thinking, that's, that's what I think sometimes, but here's what I want you to see. If you look at it, and I'm going to show you some stuff in the Gospels as well, but there are some people who will never come to Jesus until they see their children suffering. There are some parents, and maybe even some of you, you would have never thought to come to church and serve God until you started having kids. And you don't want your children to suffer in ways that maybe you've suffered in your life. And you're willing to do whatever it takes for your children to have a better life than you. Isn't that how we feel as parents many times? Um, it says in Proverbs 26, 2, the curse does not come without a cause. Now, um, the curse is something that's in your life that you've seen in generations before you as well. The curse can be alcoholism. 
Uh, the curse can be divorce. Parents were divorced, grandparents divorced, now going through a divorce. The curse can be um, bad eating habits. The curse can be negative attitude. You have anyone in your bloodline, your family, that's just like no matter what, they could win a million dollars and they'll complain about having to pay taxes on it. They're just negative. And you thought growing up, I'll never be like them. I will never let my children hear me talk to them the way they talk to me. I'll never do that. And then you find yourself sometimes in life going down that path. That's a generational curse. The curse doesn't come without a cause. There's a reason. And sometimes the reason is because it's been passed down. And sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's us. But sometimes it is passed down. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Kennedy curse. If you've ever read the books, if you're over 30 years old, you've heard of the Kennedy curse. It basically started, you know, with the things that happened to JFK. But um, what it is, is in the past hundred years, just in the past hundred years, there's been almost 30 quote unquote accidental deaths in the Kennedy family line. Just to read you a few things that have happened. Joseph Kennedy Jr. died in a plane that accidentally exploded in midair. Um, Kathleen Kennedy died in a plane crash. Uh, JFK was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Michael Kennedy died in a skiing accident. JFK Jr. died in a plane crash. Ethel Kennedy's parents died in a plane crash. Ted Kennedy, if I was in this family, I would never get on a plane. I'd be, I'd be taking trains the rest of my life everywhere. Ted Kennedy accidentally drove his car over a bridge and died. Okay, listen, this is not bad luck. This is not a coincidence. That is a spiritual force trying to destroy a bloodline. That's the devil and his demons that have studied this bloodline and they see there's great leaders in this bloodline or whatever you want to call their gifts in life. And the enemy says, we got to destroy him. Here's how we're going to do it. When the enemy looks at your bloodline, when you examine your bloodline, where do you see the areas the devil's trying to destroy your family? That is a generational curse. So I have three points for you today, believe it or not. Three points for your notes. And all of them are, are C and B points. C and B, C and B, okay? So point number one is this. Curses and blessings. Curses and blessings. Let me tell you, and you're probably going to hear this next week as well, but there's something more powerful than the generational curse. There's also something more powerful than the generational blessing, unfortunately, and that is this, the generational choice. Your choice can override your bloodline. It says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I give you the choice between blessings and curses. Now, just in case you're not that bright, he told you which one to choose. Choose the blessing. So that, watch this, in other words, make these choices in life, not only for you to prosper, but look what it says. Make these choices so your descendants prosper, those that come after you. Now, the curse that's in your family line, it may not have started with you. The greed may not have started with you. The jealousy may not have started with you. The, the lack of integrity may not have started with you, whatever. But here's the good news. It can end with you. You can be the one to forever change your family line. Um, God gave King Saul, you know, uh, chance after chance after chance after chance to obey. He just wouldn't do it. In 1 Samuel 15, 3, one, one time he just said, Saul, listen, I want you to completely destroy the Amalekites. Spare nobody. Now, it's interesting when God speaks to certain people, it's, it's so funny how these people love to reason and kind of twist what God says. Like, God, I know you told me I need to forgive, but because they hurt me so bad, it's going to take some more time. God, I know you told me to tithe, but after we pay off the car, 
then we'll start doing that. God, I know you told me to serve in church, but I'm just going to start attending and just sit there for five or six decades. And then one day I'll start serving you. It's so funny. We hear a word from God. We know he speaks to us, but we begin to twist it to fit what we want it to fit. And that's what Saul did. I know, God, you didn't say destroy all of them because some of these people, some of these people are valuable to me. God, I can show them off as trophies. They have things that I want. I'm going to keep some of them alive. And it says in verse nine, Saul only destroyed what was worthless. In fact, he spared the life of Agag of, the, of Amalek. And he also spared the life of other Amalekites as well. Because he thought, I know God said destroy all of them, but it'll look so good for everyone to see that I've captured these here. The funny thing about this is 500 years went by. Saul's dead and gone. You know, King Agag's dead and gone. All 500 years go by. Esther is in the palace. And she's trying to save the life of the Jews but there's this evil man that has the king's ear named Haman. And Haman is constantly finding out ways to kill the Jews and hurt Esther. And the Bible says in Esther 3.1 that Haman was a descendant of Agag. I wonder if you could trace your bloodline back. Could you find somebody in there that God specifically said, here's what I want you to do. I need you to forgive this person today. I need you to start you know, serving me today. I need you to surrender your life today. I need you to do this. And that person thought, eh, I don't know. And now 500 years later, here you are battling something in life because somebody in your family line did not choose the blessing. Now, there's an interesting scripture in the midst of that story of Saul that I want to share with you. In verse 18, 1 Samuel 15, it says this. God gave Saul the power to defeat the enemy, but he disobeyed. Is there an enemy in your life today that God has given you the power to defeat? And if you don't defeat it today, your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren are going to suffer. That's the question I have for you. Now, um, uh, many, many years ago in New York, um, in 1874, a member of the prison board noticed that six people from the same family just happened to be all in a New York prison. So they decided to research the family and they traced the bloodline back to a man named Max Jukes. Max Jukes was born in 1720 and he was the town's troublemaker. He had no integrity. He was an alcoholic. He didn't believe in God. He never went to church and he married a woman just like himself. Uh, 1,200 of their descendants were studied. Of their descendants, 310 were homeless, 180 drug addicts and alcoholics, 160 prostitutes, 150 in prison, seven of which for murder. Um, they cost the state one and a half million dollars, and not a single one of them made any type of contribution to society. And they traced it all back to one man's life who decided to live a life of mediocrity. Around the same time, they decided to study another family line that they traced back to a man named Jonathan Edwards, who was born in 1703. Uh, when Jonathan was a young man, he went to church, he served God uh, with the youth, with teenagers, and he felt this call of God to be a pastor, so he went to seminary. 
Once he became a pastor, he continued to study and ended up being the president of Princeton University. Him and his wife, Sarah, had many children, and 1,400 of their descendants were studied. Of their 1,400 descendants, 12 were college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 60 authors, 60 doctors, 80 governors, two U.S. senators, and one vice president of the United States of America. Do you see the difference it makes when one person decides to choose the blessing rather than when one person decides to choose the curse. Do you see that not only a family bloodline, but all of a nation can be affected or infected, whether some, just one person. Now you look at your family tree and you may see a bunch of nuts hanging off of it, right? Your family may look like the Jukes family, but you could be the one to turn the whole thing around. You look back and you can see poverty. We, have, we never can pay our bills. Never can keep the lights on. You look back and see all these health issues. You look back and see all this negativity. You could be the very person that forever changed the course of your bloodline. Uh, point number two is this. C and B. And I, I wrote this in because I didn't think you would write it in. So here's number two is this. Chaldeans and Babylonians. Chaldeans is the, probably the weirdest sermon point I've ever preached in my life, but you'll see where it flows to, okay? So let me give you a little bit of biblical history before we get into it. So stay with me. It's going to take a lot of mental energy. Um, Chaldeans, Babylonians, uh, Phoenicians, and Syrians were all groups of people in the Bible um, who, were, who started off you know, trying to do their best like people in society do, but they turned away from God, and it ended up getting generation after generation into a place of witchcraft and demonic. So when you see Chaldeans in the Bible or when you see Babylonians, I need you to think of demonic spirits. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, Acts 13, 40, is talking about um, watching out for certain things in life. And he's, um, he's, 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 ta he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. And he's saying, watch out for Chaldeans. But the Chaldeans were utterly destroyed in 536 B.C. And Paul's saying this 500 years later. So he's not talking about watch out for the people. He's talking about watch out for the demons. Now, when the Chaldeans were destroyed, the Babylonians took them over. So the Babylonians and Chaldeans became the same people. You got it? Good. Okay, now that you understand all that completely. So Paul is talking about Habakkuk. And here's what he quotes in Habakkuk 1.6. The Chaldeans, or Babylonians, depending on your Bible translation, because they're the same people. One took over the other. Are a bitter nation which marches through the earth to possess dwelling places that don't belong to them. So here's what we're starting off with. This demonic spirit is looking for... People who serve God. It's not looking for non-Christians. It's not looking for atheists. This type of demonic spirit is looking for people who are Christians. Okay, very careful you understand that. Chaldeans are synonymous with witchcraft. Let me show you that in Daniel 2 verse 2. The king gave the command to call the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So let me just make it very simple and plain for you. These are talking about parents who are into tarot cards. Crystal balls, Ouija boards, fortune telling, zodiac signs, astrology. And what happened was these parents thought, oh, it's no big deal. But it went from one generation to the next and got worse and worse and worse and worse. Listen, you don't need to call sister so-and-so and ask her about your future through the crystal ball. If you want to know your future, read the Bible. That'll tell you your future. You don't have to look it up on some website. You don't have to find out what sign you are. And you think, oh, I'm just doing it for fun. It's no big deal. I know Satan doesn't care about your motives. 
He cares about you opening the door to that in your life. And I want to show you how it will affect your children. But before I do, Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. There shall not be found anyone among you who makes his son or daughters. Let me just stop right here. It started with reading your zodiac sign. It started with finding out, you know, who you should date and what your personality is. And it started with a little crystal ball here. It started with dressing up like a witch there. And then it got from one generation to the next and ended up to the point where they were so deceived they were burning their children alive. And I know you're thinking, I would never do that. It didn't start with them. It started with the great, 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 great grandparents who passed it along little by little by little. And it got to that point. So what we're going to read happens whenever you open the door to this in your life. Make their son or daughter pass through the fire. One who practices witchcraft, soothsayer, interprets omens, sorcerer. Conjure spells, medium, spiritist, or one who calls on the dead. You ever called a number, 1-800 number? I want to find out about my, 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 my spouse died five years ago. Tell me what they're saying to me. That's what it's talking about here. All who do these things are detestable to the Lord. Parents who have Ouija boards in their house, get them out of the house. Burn them. Throw them away. You can't watch a demonic movie in your home, even after the kids go to bed and think it's not going to affect your household. You can't let your children play demonic games. Uh, uh, I know you're, oh, don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. Um, the word hallow in the Bible means to worship. The Bible says the only thing we should ever hallow is the name of God. I am all for alternatives to Halloween. I'm all for dressing up like a superhero, getting some free candy for some old people. I love doing that kind of thing. But don't dress your child up like a witch. Don't dress them up like someone that's going to cast a spell. Don't give them any kind of magic things to say. And I know, again, you think, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a movie. We're just it is a big deal. Satan's looking. Remember, the Chaldeans are looking to enter a place that doesn't belong to them. And if you think they're going to stop looking, they're never going to stop looking. They're going to knock on your door every single day. So for all of you who love Bible history, do you know who one of the first Chaldeans in the Bible was? Okay, good. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. The first one of the first Chaldeans in the Bible mentioned, listen, was the father of our faith's father. It was Abraham's dad. And God went to Abraham and said, I'm going to do something amazing in your family. I'm going to bring Israel out of you. The whole world's going to be changed for you. But here's what you got to do. You got to get away from the Chaldeans. Genesis eleven thirty one. 31, so Terah took his son Abram and left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the promised land of Canaan. But, everybody say but. but. When you see a but, you need to really pay attention to what's next. When they got to Haran, they just settled. It's not the promised land, but it's good enough. It's not what God told us we should have, but I'm tired. It's too hard to get the kids to church on Sunday morning. They had a long weekend. I can't make them go to youth group. They've been at school all day. I know we should really start serving and getting in the word, but it's just too difficult. So we're not totally demonic. We don't serve God with our whole heart, but at least we're not, you know, doing like these other people out there. It's good enough. And they settled halfway. Do you think God was okay with them settling? Yes or no? No, so guess what God did? He said, if the parent's not going to do it, I'm going to the child. In Genesis 12, 1, the Lord told Abram, you leave your country, you leave your people, you leave your father's household, and you go to the promised land, and I'll bless you with an abundance, and you'll be a blessing everywhere you go, dispensing good to others. I'll curse those to curse you everywhere your foot walks. I'll give you my favor. On and on, God made him these promises. Here's what he had to do. He had to stop messing around with the Chaldean spirit. He had to get completely and totally 
away from it. So let me just give you another little Bible history. If you want to see a type and shadow of a believer in bondage to the demonic, listen real close. So Abraham leaves Chaldea and then he, then Israel is birthed out of him. But guess what happens many years later? Israel gets taken over again by the Chaldeans. After God did great things in their life, they opened the door back up to the Chaldeans. And here's how it happened in Daniel 1, 1 through 4. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, or Israel, God's place, and besieged it or took it over. And here's what he stole. Remember this. He stole what belonged in church. He stole the articles of the house of God. Then the king instructed his leader, Ashpenaz, to kidnap, kidnap the children. Take some of the Israelite children, the young men who were handsome intelligent, quick to learn. Let's just stop there. I would have been kidnapped. <laughs> they would have barged in our house with machine guns to get me as quick as they possibly could. <laughs> and be arrogant. And I'm just kidding. Quick to learn who had the ability to serve. But here's what we wanted to do. They wanted to kidnap the children, take them from church, fill them up with what the world said, the language, the literature of the Chaldeans, and the lure of fortune telling. Let me say this. The devil wants to kidnap your children. He wants to take them right out from under your watch. And you can think all day you got your hand on them. Listen, you can't do any. It's, it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have to walk in that blood. That's the only thing. You think you, you, think you can protect your family. You have to make sure Jesus is head of your family. Amen. So let me show you a weird scripture in, in the Gospels, and we'll go to point number three. This is a long point. Point number three is shorter. Mark 7, 24 says this. A woman whose daughter had a demon. Now, I just want you to picture a little, cute little girl, innocent little girl. Um, she's doing her best, and she's just going through life, and she's in first grade or whatever, and she has an unclean spirit. She has a, a demon in her life. And I don't know if you ever had a child or seen one. One day they're fine, and the next day... They're in their room just crying all night. One day they're fine. The next day they say, I have no friends. One day they're fine. The next day um, they're just treating you so disrespectfully. You don't even know what's going on. One day they're fine. The next day they're sick and nobody can figure out why. They have this suffering in their life. And you're thinking in your mind, this is my child. What has my little child done to deserve this? Why are they going through this? It doesn't seem fair. The Bible says that the woman, the mom, she went to Jesus. So obviously she believed, and I'll show you, she did believe, and I'll show you a little bit. She wasn't a Christian, but she believed. She heard about Jesus, and she fell at his feet like any parent would do if there was any chance their daughter could be healed. The woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician, very important, by birth. She kept asking Jesus, please, please cast the demon out of my daughter. Please, I'll do anything. Now, this little girl, why would she have a daughter? Let me teach you why historically. Syrophoenician. The Syrians are the demons of pride, and the Phoenicians are the demons of witchcraft. So let me put it together. This woman thought she could dabble in a little bit of black magic, a little bit of astrology, a little bit of zodiac. She thought she could dabble in it, and her pride said it won't hurt anything. Because of the way this woman lived her life, and I'll show you even further why Jesus calls her a dog. But the way she lived her life, she knew better too. She didn't think, oh, this is the thing. She knew it wasn't right, and she did it anyway. Okay, so, and real quick, another history. Uh, one of the main Phoenicians in the Bible was Jezebel. If you want to write that down for your notes, Jezebel was a witch in the Bible. She was a witch. And Jezebel married King Ahab. Ahab was a good king of Israel. And he saw this fine woman on Facebook and hooked up with her and thought, well, I know she's not a Christian, but I'm sure once I get her in Jerusalem, she'll change her mind. She didn't change her mind. She changed his mind. 
She comes to Jerusalem. Jezebel hooks up with Ahab, and she's a witch. And she little by little starts bringing in this tarot card and this influence and this crystal ball. Little by little, this bad movie, this bad video game. She brings it, and sooner or later, Ahab, the Bible says he didn't even know what was going on, all of the deceit of his wife. So this Phoenician changed all of Israel. But anyway, okay, so verse 27, and Jesus, here's what Jesus told the woman. The children are the ones that get delivered. Now, this word children means Gentiles, Jews, we're going to say Christians. Okay, here's what Jesus is saying. Deliverance from the demonic is for children of God. It's for Christians. It is not for other people. It's for Christians. People who believe. People have Jesus as their Lord of their life. Children need to be filled first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It sounds like he's calling her a dog. And you'll see why in a second. She said to him, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because that was your reply, because that was in your heart and it came out of your mouth, the demons left your daughter. So let me explain to you biblically what's happening here. It's a very difficult passage to understand unless you know the Bible. So a dog in the Bible, and if you want to write it down, Revelation 22, 14, and Paul talks about it a lot. A dog in the Bible is this. A person who believes in Jesus, knows who he is, but he's not the Lord of their life. They know the Christian lingo. They even come to church and they research and maybe they sit there and listen. They think the sermon's good or whatever, but he's not the Lord of their life. They have not made Jesus their Lord and Savior. That's what a dog is in the Bible. And Jesus said to her, listen, I know you believe enough to, you know, you're coming to me and I know you know the lingo, but I'm telling you, uh, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not going to heaven. And the woman says this, but I know enough about the Bible to know that the Bible says I can do this and this and this. And even if I'm not saved, even if I'm not a Christian, I can still apply these biblical principles and see the biblical results, which is true. Uh, Muslims can apply things in the Bible and see the results. Hindus, anybody can, atheists can do it. You won't go to heaven because you're not saved, but there are things in the Bible you can do. And one of the things you can do is you can bring Jesus, you can bring your children to Jesus. And she said to Jesus, Jesus, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not going to heaven, but I do know this. You will never turn down the prayer of a parent. You'll never turn down a child that's brought to you. You will never turn your back on a child if the parent brings them to you. And she said that. And Jesus said, because you know that, you're absolutely right. You're not going to heaven. You don't serve me. You do this other stuff. But let me tell you this. You brought your child to me. I'm going to heal your child. Point number two is what I'm saying is this. is If you won't come to church for yourself, come for your children. If you won't change your life for yourself, bring your children. If you won't surrender your life to Christ for yourself, push your children into it so that their life can be better than yours. Point number three is this and it's quick. Christ's blood. We're talking about changing our bloodline, right? Christ's blood. Christ's blood. It's the only way to do it. Um, it says in Revelation 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. Here's how, we, here's how we change our bloodline. Okay, It's really important. The blood of Christ and the word of Christ. Here's how we change our spirit. You surrender your spirit to the Holy Spirit. That's the blood. But then you surrender your soul to the Holy Word. You can't just get saved and stop coming to church and get saved and do whatever you want to do in life and get saved and dabble in this and dabble in that. You give your life to Christ but then because we have a soul and a flesh, you got to get in the word every day, every week. Pray the word, read the word, look at the word, cough the word for all I care. I don't care what it is. Just get the word inside of you. Um, it only, it's only by the blood of Jesus and the word. So you know that spiritual blood is more powerful than the natural. 
In other words, you can change your bloodline physically by having the spiritual blood of Jesus in your life. We understand that. However, I do want to read you something pretty interesting about physical blood. Okay, The military, years ago, they took some blood cells from a soldier and they placed it in a test tube and they got these probes that measure like emotional responses and stress and things like that. Then they took that soldier and put him in another room. His blood's in this room. He's in this room. And they put a TV on the screen and they put the most horrific war images ever captured on film. And he's sitting there watching these horrible things while he's watching it. The blood in the other room, the test is just going off the charts like crazy. The scientist concluded and said this, the blood remembers where it came from. In other words, you can do things in your life right now and your, your kids can be a, a thousand miles away. And what you do now can actually affect them. Now, let me just take it. I know it's a little bit weird. Just let me take it for a I, I know you've read about people getting major blood transfusions, right? And then after the transfusion, all of a sudden, now this one has this love of jazz music. They don't know why. And they found out the person that gave them all the blood was a jazz musician. Or this person never had an addiction. And then they get this horrible blood transfusion. And then after they wake up, they want cigarettes all of a sudden, you know, because the person was, had addiction to. It's, it's like, I know that's weird, okay, a little bit, but I like it. Um, but I want to read you a scripture Genesis 4 10. Cain killed his brother, and the Lord said this Your brother's blood cries out. Your brother's blood is still speaking. It's not in his body, but it's crying out from the ground. Now you're under a curse. Now, if, 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 if Abel's blood can cry out to God because of something his brother did to him. Listen real close. Romans 5, 9 says, by the blood of Christ, we are righteous. Amen. If you think Cain and Abel's blood was powerful, the blood of Jesus is way more powerful. Now let's put these two scriptures together. The blood of Christ, we're righteous, not by what we do, but by the blood of Christ in our life. If that's the case, put this with it. Psalms 112, 2, the seed of the righteous will be mighty on the earth. That means if I have Jesus in my life, that alone can make my children successful in their future. Um, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, all of heaven was silent. The music stopped playing. The angels quit singing. The earth was so distraught and troubled that it began to shake violently. The sun turned away and refused to shine. His enemies thought they had finally shut him up. They were done with him. He'll never preach again. He'll never teach again. They even said, we have proof that he's dead. His blood's been spilled all over the place. What they didn't know was that same blood that was shed on a hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago still speaks to this very day. Amen. That blood says that the Lord's favor surrounds you like a shield. That blood says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That blood says that he will take care of your enemies for you. You can forgive and let it go. That blood says that you are an overcomer in life. That blood says by stripes you're healed. The blood of Jesus still speaks for those who want it in their life. Hebrews 9.14, how much more then will the blood of Christ who offered himself unblemished to God cleanse us from death? Not so we can sit back and be lazy Christians. Not so we can sit back and just settle in Haran. Not so we can sit back and just watch everybody else do their thing. The blood of Jesus in our life, it did what it did so that we can serve the living God. Amen. And because of that, because of the blood of Jesus, we can choose the blessing and spend the rest of our life serving him. Amen? Amen? That's how you change your bloodline. That is how you change your bloodline.